Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Tuesday, A Course of Miracles with Miracles One show. This is Reverend Deb Phelps, Senior Minister here at Miracles One. And I am pleased to introduce to you our host for this week, Reverend Gail Bartlett. And I think you got a great reading, and I think she has a fairy tale for us, folks. Hmm. Is that true, Gail? <laughs> yes, it is. Yay! For us fairy tale fans who have been enjoying those that you weave so well with the course. So, thanks everyone for joining us, and here's Rev Gail. Well, hi everyone. Um, I'm Rev Gail Bartlett, and I'm delighted to be here. And uh, this reading has really hit home for me. And what I'm doing today is speaking to Chapter 17. Uh, which is Forgiveness and the Holy Relationship, and it's Section 5 in the text, and it's on pages if you want to follow me, although I don't recommend it, because I'm going to basically give you a synopsis of the entire section, paragraph by paragraph, in my talk in this radio show, Um, and it may be disruptive for you to get its meaning if you try to follow me, but anyway... If you want to reference it, it is on pages 362 and 365 in the text. Okay, and as Rev Deb just said, I plan on sharing a fairy tale. Yes, I will, but after I have given all of you my perspective on this section, and for me, its most salient points, Jesus begins in this section by stating, the holy relationship is the expression of the holy instant in living in this world. Now, do you all remember what the holy instant is? It's a moment or two or an instant, seconds, where we're willing to put all of our attack thoughts, all thoughts of specialness, separation, and separate interests on the altar for his healing, the Holy Spirit, and transformation. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that what we will for ourselves, we will for our brothers too. All brothers, no exception. We live, we can live with no anxiety, apprehension, and terror. We feel peace, we can feel peace every moment of every seeming day. And if we practice the holy instant, our relationships become transformed by him from specialness, 
where one loses, one gains, one wins, one loses, and we all win as we're now experiencing the effects of a holy relationship with all brothers. Okay, and in just about 20 pages from this section, Jesus provides a prayer we can use anytime, anytime, when we're distressed in any form, whatever that may be for you, for me, and it's on page three, excuse me, 384 in the text, and I'm going to read it to you. You need not go to page 384. I'm just referencing for you. It's a series of paragraphs we read for months, maybe even years, not sure, during our daily meditation on the day's lesson every morning, and we stopped doing that January 1st of this year. And I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> and what Jesus says in this paragraph, which is a lovely reference for the section we're talking about today, is whoever is saner at the time the threat is perceived, there's a threat to peace, should remember how deep is his indebtedness to the other and how much gratitude is due him, this brother that we may be angry at or that we've had a, a tiff with. And we'd be glad, we're glad that we can pay our debt by bringing happiness to both. And we rem remember this and we say, I desire this holy instant for myself, that I may share it with my brother whom I love. Now, we may not be feeling love at the time, but we can experience it by asking the Holy Spirit for help. It is not possible that I can have it without him or he without me. Yet it is wholly possible, wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y and H-O-L-L-Y, possible for us to share it now. And so I choose this instant as the one to offer to the Holy Spirit that his blessing may descend on us and keep us both in peace. It's such a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And I often forget to say it, to be honest. Okay, going back to the reading, what does Jesus say about the holy relationship? We relinquish our specialness to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says in this section 5, chapter 17, the healed relationship, the only difficult phase is the beginning. As the goal for the relationship has shifted to the Holy Spirit. So in other words, Jesus is saying, hang in there. It's okay. The beginning is going to be challenging. Okay. In effect, he's saying, this holy relationship will become or is a happy song of praise to the Redeemer of relationships. He's saying that our relationship can become a happy song of praise. We can't do this on our own. The Holy Spirit does it. He undoes our own shit. Excuse me. Now in paragraph three in the healed relationship, Jesus basically, from my point of view, says, beware guys, beware. The relationship may seem disturbed disjunctive, and even quite distressing. Don't you love those D words? That's alliteration at its finest. 
Now, in yesterday's Review Lesson 55, Jesus again refers to alliteration by when, when he was reviewing Lesson 21. What, what he wrote is that what, what I see now are but signs of disease, disaster, and death. It, very powerful. Just as he was saying, disturbed, disjunctive, and even quite distressing. He packs a wallop with his use of alliteration. I, I love it. I just love this. Okay, to move on. Why is the relationship up for grabs? Or why does it feel as though it is? He's telling us that the beginning of our relationship being transformed from specialness to salvation, if you will, or to holiness, is going to feel very disruptive, disjointed, dis discordant. And, and he's saying, be prepared for this. So it's like brace yourselves. The goals changed, everyone. He lets us know many relationships, as we start to feel this, bite the dust. They bite the dust. We've all done that. I certainly have. It's, oh my gosh, this relationship is too uncomfortable. I'm going to flee. It may not be a conscious decision, but I got to get the hell out of here. We go back to our goal, the unholy relationship, thinking that it will be different. That's what we do. We go back to the goal of specialness, which is ego. And finally, if we find that relationship, it will provide at long last the safety we yearn for. So we go about finding someone else to play with. We all do that, whether it's a significant other or a friend, or if we're an employer like Bill and me, an employee that will fit the bill, whatever form it may take, we go from one special relationship to another until we really truly commit to a holy relationship, a healed relationship. Okay. In paragraph four, he states that the temptation of the ego becomes very intense with this shift in goals. Now remember, somewhere in the text, and Rev Deb could, could enlighten me, um, the ego becomes suspicious and then vicious. So we watch out for this. We're advised that this will, re will happen until we see that the relationship must be changed to meet or fit the goal. We must accept, paragraph four, I'm still on it, this happy solution as the only way out of conflict. Otherwise, Jesus says, the relationship will be felt as severely strained. In paragraph five, Jesus says, as we learn to accept it, accept it, the relationship grows increasingly beneficent and joyous. Sure, he's saying, at the beginning it feels very precarious. We become appalled that we played such deadly and toxic games. Now, in a very, very powerful, powerful paragraph, and it's six, he says we must have faith. It's a time for faith 
we let the goal of holiness, of healing, be set for us. That's an act of faith. The Holy Spirit has accepted the relationship, and he will purify whatever darkness still exists. We must have faith in ourselves, our brothers, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, he says, we now find ourselves in an insane relationship, but it's okay. The Holy Spirit never leaves us, never has, never will, ever. Now, in paragraph 7, if we find the ego blowing in our ears about finding someone else to love or be loved by, Jesus says, hear not this now. We must have faith in the Holy Spirit. We are no longer insane. Can we deny that he has given us a more explicit statement? So we ask for faith. We pray for faith. We open ourselves up to having faith. Our relationship or relationships have been reborn as holy in paragraph 8, Jesus says, Our relationship has not been disrupted. Forget not how much misery we had really found. And remember, above all else, the relationship has been saved. He cautions us in this paragraph 8 that a sense of aimlessness will come to haunt us and remind us of all the ways we sought for satisfaction and believed we had found it. But as we all know, it's always just temporary. The ego thought system emerges its ugly head again, and we mire ourselves into blame. In the ninth paragraph, Jesus speaks to the fact that throughout the sonship, it's a song of freedom heard. We have joined with all, with the sonship and the holy instant. We will not be left comfortless. God has blessed our holy relationship. All it needs now is our blessing. We are not to condemn salvation, for it has come to us. We welcome it, and all the sonship is blessed. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? Really powerful. In paragraph 11, Jesus sort of issues a warning, in, in my opinion, the Holy Spirit has thanked us for our willingness. Yes, he has. Of course we've made mistakes. But he acknowledges and appreciates that we've made tremendous efforts to do his work. He earnestly and genuinely appreciates these efforts. He sees not 
our mistakes, can we do the same for our brothers and our holy relationships? Are we able to appreciate the efforts made? Can we overlook mistakes? We may be consciously or unconsciously crucifying our brothers for the discomfort we are experiencing due to our lack of consistent faith, right? So if we're not able, everyone, to experience gratitude and appreciation toward our brothers and ourselves, we are unable to express the holy instant and we thereby lose sight of it. In paragraph 12, Jesus says, we must not allow time to close over the holy instant. In sentence two, he says, it must be kept shining and gracious in our awareness of time, but not concealed within it. The instant remains. But where are we to give thanks to our brothers is to appreciate the holy instant and thus enable its results to be accepted and shared. He says to attack our brothers is not to lose the instant, but to make it powerless in its effects. And Jesus certainly does not sugarcoat this message at all, does he? In paragraph 13, he says, we have, I repeat, we have received the holy instant, but we may have established a condition in which we cannot use it. We forget it is still with us We have cut ourselves off from its expression, thereby denying ourselves its benefit. Now, how do we do that? We attack our brothers for the attack. The attack in any form blinds us to ourselves. He says, it is impossible to deny ourselves and to recognize what has been given and received by us. To move on, in paragraph 14, Jesus says, we stand together, feel that now, we stand together in the holy presence of truth itself along with the goal. We must not forget the goal itself. The goal itself of a holy relationship will gladly arrange the means for its accomplishment. The discrepancy between the means and the goal cause us to suffer, but because heaven is not outside us, it is within, 
we can share heaven's gladness. We are joined in purpose, but we remain, we remain still separate and divided on the means. So he's talking again to the disparity between the goal and the means. So we may accept the goal, but we reject the means. And we can't do that. We accept both the goal and the means. And finally, in this paragraph, he states, yes, the goal, excuse me, is fixed, firm, and unalterable. And the means will surely fall in place because the goal is sure. And we will share the gladness of the sonship because it is so. Now, the last paragraph, and I I recognize that I've gone through this very swiftly. I would probably bear listening to this again once Rev. Deb posts it because it's such a powerful section. It's, It's 300 pages away from the end of the text. It's smack in the middle, and it's so important that we understand what the healed relationship is. Now, the last paragraph is a short one, And I am going to read it in its entirety. As you begin to recognize and accept the gifts you have so freely given to your brother, you will also accept the effects of the holy instant and use them, these effects, to correct all your mistakes and free you from their results. And learning this, Jesus says, you will also have learned how to release all the sonship and offer it in gladness and thanksgiving to him who gave you your release and who would extend it through you. So very, very powerful. So powerful. And I say amen to that. Amen, and thank you, Jesus, for channeling this through Helen Shuckman. Thank you. We rest a moment in appreciation and gratitude for these incredible words, but they're just words if we don't apply it. Okay, I just love that section, and I thank you, Rev. Deb, for providing this reading for me. It's not an accident that I needed to study it and apply it in my own life. Now comes the fairy tale. And I believe that most of you are not familiar with this fairy tale because I wasn't, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I love this fairy tale, and I I don't know what caused me to find this, but I was guided to do so, and I am delighted. Now the fairy tale is the nightingale written by Hans Christian Andersen in 1843. And Andersen, Hans Christian Andersen, fashioned this tale after the love he had for Jenny Lind, and most of us have never heard of Jenny Lind. She was Swedish, and she was a Swedish, this is a, a mouthful, a Swedish, a Swedish songstress he had heard sing, and he fell in love with her. And even though 
hands and she never developed a romantic relationship. They were friends, correspondents for years. And she was referred uh, to by the public as a Swedish nightingale. She had a, a soprano voice and she sang like an angel, evidently, according to, to history. And the Nightingale fairy tale, which is interesting because it's the only one, to the best of my knowledge, among Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales that is set in China. And in China lives a rich, wealthy, abundantly affluent emperor who, has, who lives in this magnificent palace filled with porcelain. And the garden he had was replete with indescribably beautiful flowers and trees. Visitors from all over the world admired the palaces and the garden's splendor. The emperor, of course, had a huge staff, and they and all the commoners were at the emperor's beck and call. The difference between the peasants or commoners in most, as in most fairy tales and the aristocracy and royalty it is apparent in this fairy tale, like most. Okay, by the way, I, I wanted to share with you that I read in Wikipedia that Hans Christian Andersen based this fairy tale on his love for Tivoli. At that time, it was an amusement park and pleasure garden with Chinese motifs that was established in Copenhagen in 1843. He fell so much in love with these gardens that he wrote this fairy tale set in China in two days, in, in two days, which is really interesting. Okay, so the, the emperor possessed all these riches and people from all over the world came to visit including, which is interesting because I read some history about this, the Japanese emperor, and that really never happened. There was no great love for Chinese and Japanese back then. Uh, presumably it was long ago. But anyway, including, okay, so the, Japan, the Japanese emperor went to visit him, and when he returned to his country, to Japan, he wrote that the most glorious wonder of all in China was the song of a nightingale singing in the forest. The emperor was appalled. What? How can that be? He has a palace filled with porcelain. His gardens are magnificently splendid. Everybody else writes about the gardens as the pièce de résistance. Now, the emperor of China had never heard this nightingale song. So he summoned his huge staff to find it immediately and bring it back to him. And he threatened to have them all trampled if they were not successful. So they were terrified. And they, they sent forth a posse, so to speak, to find this little nightingale. And a kitchen maid, as the, the staff knew, who worked in the kitchen, obviously, in the palace, had heard the nightingale sing and led the staff to the nightingale deep, deep, deeply into the forest. So they brought the little one back, and yes, it, 
Yes, indeed. It's glorious song penetrated the emperor's heart. And so what did he do? What do you think he did? What do you think he did? He captured the bird, of course, and provided this glorious cage to contain it. And then the servants placed little tiny thin silken threads on its little tiny body to prevent it from escaping. Every night, every single night, this little bird sang to its little heart's content. That was its mission, to bring its joy forth into song. Everyone was captivated by its splendor. Everyone. Kind of like the Jenny Lent, who Hans Christian Andersen had fallen in love with, this little bird represented, according to some, Jenny Lind with her magnificent, beautiful voice. But alas, everyone, the Japanese emperor who had heard this nightingale and had written about it, sent his counterpart in China, the Chinese emperor, a stone, a glorious stone beset replica of the nightingale. Now this little music box, if you will, was able to play 33 songs. 33, I thought that number was interesting. And the emperor lost interest in the real deal. The little, the little nightingale, I started to say mockingbird, nightingale. He played the musical bird over and over and over again to the point where everyone in the empire was able to sing along with the melodies. And they, all, they, they actually brought the sounds, the gurgling sounds of this little music box into their everyday language and tried to imitate them. Unbelievable. Now, you can guess what happened. Just take a guess silently to yourself. The gears are stripped, and the little golden, beautiful bird, mechanical bird from Japan, could only be played once a year because they had employed or hired a master mechanic who could restore it well enough to enable it to be played once a year on an annual basis. Okay, fast forward a couple years later, and death came knocking at the emperor's door and sat on his bed. And I've seen images of this. It's a skeleton. <laughs> and it's horrible looking. The nightingale had been completely forgotten. The real deal, the real nightingale had been forgotten. The emperor was, in fact, dying. The skeleton representing death took his sword, took his emperor's sash, and death had brought all his companions with him which not only represented the emperor's good deeds, and they were clamoring to be recognized, but his evil deeds. And there's all this commotion and all this chatter, and death is happily with his sword and his sash. Now, the staff were oblivious to this because they knew he was dying, and they were paying homage to the new emperor. They were absolutely uh, unaware 
of the fact that death had knocked at, at their emperor's door. They were they were they were going about their new business, if you will, and that's to smooth schmooze the new the new um, impending emperor. Okay, well, take a guess at what happened. I'm asking you to guess again. The nightingale, upon hearing that the emperor was dying, returned, and its lovely, lovely song mesmerized death back to his gardens where Hans Christian Andersen wrote, where mourners weep for their lost loved ones. So presumably we're talking about a cemetery where he went back to his old haunting ground. The emperor regained his health and was so eternally grateful to the nightingale that he gave this little bird its freedom, that it <clears throat> that if it wanted to return to sing any time, it would be the little bird's decision. The little bird closed out the fairy tale by telling the emperor not to tell anyone of their close bond. The little bird would tell him what was going on in the empire as long as he never betrayed this. And the emperor agreed and lived for many more years. Okay, how does this apply to holy as opposed to unholy relationships? You already know, don't you? The emperor substituted a frame for the picture. Think about the two pictures, which Rev. Wayne Stills talked about a while back. He was hypnotized, mesmerized, entranced by the elegance of the fake bird, the musical bird and all its jewels, all its 33 songs, and quickly dismissed the real deal. In our special relationships, we all do that. We either go from relationship to relationship, or we cast out the parts of a bond we abhor and find what we want in another person until that fails. Of course, we may physically be present in the same house or apartment or room with a spouse or significant other, children, whatever, but we are normally lonely and sad, depressed and bored because specialness permeates the relationships. This is exactly what the emperor did. However, the little nightingale continued to birth forth in song for all the peasants fishermen and servants who did not live at the palace. They were blessed with its glory. By the way, <clears throat> for your information, because I had to explore this as well, never having seen a nightingale, <clears throat> excuse me, they're not attractive at all. It's, they're probably like a sparrow in appearance, average, maybe even homely, like Jenny Lind was in the real-life version of this tale. <clears throat> but her voice like the little birds, was angelic, as I said before, and transformed her countenance into one of beauty and light. The little bird, as we can well imagine, was not happy being in captivity and was only free, truly free, when the emperor saw that what he had underestimated, what he had dismissed or had not appreciated, was the only thing that gave him back to life 
And that's the song of this precious little bird. We can do this with holy relationships. Like the emperor, we realize that by holding grievance against our brothers, we're not honoring them for their gifts, their light, their being a part of the sonship. We hold them captive in our minds, thereby holding ourselves captive as well. We cannot buy freedom. We cannot receive a gift like the Gildan music box that will long-term bring us happiness and joy. It is only by appreciating our brother's gifts and ours through the Holy Spirit by offering him all our relationships in the holy instant that we finally embark upon a goal that will take us home. The Holy Spirit will provide the means if we do not lose faith, if we're committed to no longer blaming our brothers or ourselves for our perceptions, our own guilt, and our own sense of sinlessness. Like the nightingale, we can be free. We can experience the effects of the holy instant, which was experienced by the whole, the emperor who was so thankful and appreciative for his life and his not having died that he humbly and gratefully bestowed to this little nightingale its freedom. And in so doing, the emperor lived for a very long time and found peace. Please use paragraph 384, which I read earlier in the text, any time your faith wavers. It will, and it's okay. You can use it any time to reset or reground or recommit to the goal that we've all established to enjoy only holy, healed relationships. That goal has been set. Yes, we will experience turbulence. Yes, what were the words? Disturbed, disjointed, whatever, all those Ds at the very beginning of this reading in chapter 17, section 5. But we remember to ask again for the holy instant. We remember to forgive. We remember the song that this this emperor in China forgot the song of the nightingale or the song of Jesus or the song of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I was guided this morning. I was led this morning at 444 to read several paragraphs in the forgotten song in chapter 21, section one of the text and to close I'm going to do a meditation and if we have time then Rev Deb will uh, provide the number to you to call in I don't know if we'll have time because I'd like to do a lovely meditation by using uh, an excerpt from the forgotten song 
to close my presentation on the healed relationship, and it's really, truly beautiful, and I had not read it for quite some time. So I'm asking you to please close uh, your Course in Miracles uh, blue books to get nice and comfy, to start taking a few deep, deep breaths, and remember that this instant is the only one we have, this moment in the now. It doesn't matter what you have to do, where you have to go, what project you may be working on. This joining and this communion is the most important thing you can do today and really every day, whether it's from this section in the text or not. It matters not. So some nice, deep, restorative healing breaths through the belly into your beingness. And we place all of our relationships on the altar of our minds for healing. And we know it and we claim it and we know that the Holy Spirit is with us. We feel his presence as we join together. And now I'm going to ever so gently read to you from this magnificent passage or passages from the text. Listen. Perhaps you catch a hint of an ancient state not quite forgotten dim, perhaps, and yet not altogether unfamiliar, like a song whose name is long forgotten, and the circumstances in which you heard, completely unremembered. Not the whole song has stayed with you, but just a little wisp of melody attached not to a person or a place or anything particular. But you remember from just this little part how lovely was the song, how wonderful the setting where you heard it, and how you loved those who were there and listened with you. The notes are nothing, yet you have kept them with you, not for themselves, but as a soft reminder of what would make you weep if you remembered how dear it was to you. You could remember, yet you are afraid, believing you would lose the world you learned since then. And yet you know that nothing in the world you learned is half so dear as this. Listen and see if you remember an ancient song you knew so long ago and held more dear than any melody you taught yourself to cherish since. Beyond the body, 
beyond the sun and stars, envision this now, past everything you see, and yet somehow familiar, is an arc of golden light. Envision that now, an arc of golden light that stretches as you look into a great and shining circle. And all the circle fills with light before your eyes. Envision that now. The edges of the circle disappear. And what is in it is no longer contained at all. The light expands and covers everything, extending to infinity, forever shining, and with no break or limit anywhere. Within it, everything is joined in perfect continuity. Nor is it possible to imagine that anything could be outside, for there is nowhere that this light is not. This is the vision of the Son of God, whom you know well. Here is the sight of him who who knows his Father, Here is the memory of what you are, a part of this, with all of it within, and joined to all as surely as all is joined in you. Accept the vision that can show you this and not the body. You know the ancient song and know it well. Nothing will ever be as dear to you as is this ancient hymn of love, the Son of God sings to his Father still. And now the blind can see, for that same song they sing in honor of their Creator gives praise to them as well. The blindness that they made will not withstand the memory of this song and they will look upon the vision of the Son of God remembering who he is they sing of. What is a miracle but this remembering and who is there in whom this memory lies not? The light in one awakens it and all. And when you see it in your brother, you are remembering for everyone. So bask in this light and this forgotten song with some deep, deep, penetrating breaths And be grateful for this magnificent ministry center, A Course in Miracles, and for our joining together through Jesus and the Holy Spirit in communion. Deep, deep breaths. And gently come back. 
and I'm going to relinquish the floor to Rev Deb. So if she feels, if you feel, Rev Deb, that there's time to entertain a call, otherwise we can conclude this radio show presentation. I'll leave it up to you. I'm done. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful what you shared, Gail. Rev Gail. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we do we do have a little bit of time, so I can put the number out there, see if anybody does feel guided, uh, unless they're so mellowed out like I am by that <laughs> by that reading <laughs> that you just did. <laughs> so oh, if you, I, you do want to call uh, and share any insights, or if you have a question, uh, call six zero eight five one four one four eight seven. Or you can Skype audio into Miracles One Radio Show. So 608-514-1487 and uh, Miracles One Radio Show on Skype. So I I, I love that uh, Nightingale. You know, Had you heard it before? No, I hadn't. Rep Deb, I'd never heard of it before, ever. I I'd never... I've, I don't even know what led me to find this other than I like Hans Christian Andersen and I've used, that's probably why, dear, I found a number of his stories that I've resonated with that I've shared, like the Ugly Duckling and Thumbelina and so forth. But this doesn't seem to be as popular among his fairy tales. I mean, there are a million references to the Nightingale, but I had never heard of it before until I was preparing for this. And I... And I figure as we're waiting, just in case someone calls in, what a blessing it was to me because when I made the link this morning to the forgotten song, I felt it was, and I got really choked up. I don't know if you picked that up. I uh, could feel myself getting teary-eyed and I immediately uh, got myself back into a condition where I could continue to read, but um, it I don't always go to this forgotten song section and I forget that it has such a beautiful meditation in it. Yeah. So anyway. Well, it, well, I always say this. It's one of my favorite sections. <laughs> Is it? No, you know. Favorite. No, I do love that section because. I didn't of, know I, that, Rev Deb. I didn't know that that was. And, and I've known you for a while now. Well, you know, it, it, being a musician... Oh, of anything that has to do with music and I always liken it to well yeah you know remember that song that was playing when you were in high school and you know you remember you know such and such uh, uh, that's that's the same thing as the forgotten song you know maybe it was at your wedding maybe it was uh, when you were in high school maybe it was you know at uh, I don't know some you know on your way to high school I, I remember them playing uh Tusk from Fleetwood Mac on the school bus, you know, on the radio every time I was headed to high school sort of thing. So I kind of have, you know, when I when I hear the song Tusk, I think back, oh, when we were in the bus on the way to Catholic high school. Sure. You know, sure. so but that's that same thing. You know, it's like that's what it is. You know, there's this song that we remember that brings us back to who we really are to that time and place and the holy relationship that we have with our father. Oh, just such a beautiful section. And we can have that with, with everyone. Oh, 
And that's the beauty of it is that we can have that relationship with everyone, anyone, anything, everything, and make all of our relationships uh, miraculous relationships. You know, I so appreciate your bringing that out because when we read that for such a long time in the daily lesson meditation, we always said that we place everything, not just relationships, but our relationship to a substance or something in form like a house or a job or an employer or it doesn't, of course, obviously with an employer, there are relationships inferred. But if someone is struggling with an addiction to alcohol or eats too much or doesn't eat enough or whatever the case may be, we can place any form, to your point, of, of dysfunction or anything that causes us misery on the altar for his transformation. But going back to that section, I, I don't think anyone's calling in, do you? No, no, go, so go right ahead. If anybody oh. does, we can let them join in. <laughs> okay. What I was going to say, though, is that I, I mean, clearly I went through the text uh, with several of you, including you, uh, to complete the ministerial program. But I don't know, unless I had had to study it for today, that I really picked up the gratitude and appreciation. I have prayed that prayer on 384 many, many times, but I've still hmm, bludgeoned my husband, for example. I always use Bill, but there are others, of course, in my mind, and I haven't, I haven't overlooked their faults as I've perceived them, and I'm still into blame, and so that would tell me that I, I, uh, have convinced myself that I accept the goal of a holy relationship, but in fact, I'm not trusting the means that the Holy Spirit provides to us. And basically, in this healed relationship section, I what I captured from some intense work with this section for the last couple of weeks is it's a time for faith, and it's a time to be grateful and and appreciative of our brothers, even if they don't know we have placed a given relationship on the altar for his healing and transformation. And so I really miss that, Rev Deb. I really miss the importance of taking lots of deep breaths, remembering the forgotten song, remembering to be patient, and remembering to trust that the Holy Spirit will carry out the goal that I'm committed to. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he will. He will. What, what is it that I, so it's going back in our mind, what is the goal? What yeah. is this for? What, what do I want this relationship for? What do I want the healing for? And I have to realize that when we talk about the idea of healing relationships, that it's not about it's going to look a certain way. You know, that so-and-so is going to apologize or, you know, everything's going to be hunky-dory in the relationship. It may not be. But where we're going to find the peace is the relationship is healed in our minds. May not look that way in form, 
But we know in content that our utmost desire is to have a holy relationship, to see them as whole and healed and abundant, no lack whatsoever. To see them as Holy Spirit sees them, as God sees them. And with that, then we've done the work. And whatever goes from that point on, goes from that point on. It's not saying it has to look a certain way when I forgive. Mm. Right? Like Just like when we do the healing circle on Friday mornings, uh, when we place whatever it is, whosoever the healing request is, and and they place that into the, the circle and we do the meditation, it's we trust that it's done despite outward appearances that we trust that it's done whatever the problem issue you know upset physical condition whatever it is that we trust now that we've placed what we're feeling about that it's not about the actual form of it it's about how we're feeling about it we've placed that in the circle we've given that to the holy spirit and now we trust that he does the rest And that's that's where we need to be with it in all the relationships. And as you said, you know, you with the page three eighty four, the whether it's an addiction or whatever it is, situation, whatever it is, that I place that aside. And that's you know, as I said before about the healing circle. And pretty soon we're going to be announcing a uh, healing prayer ministry. Um, Ryan Westbrook Vigu, one of our ministerial students, will be heading that up, and he'll be sending out information uh, about that. Where we'll be, you'll be able to call your healing prayer request, uh, email it, and we will have those mighty prayer companions, as he's called them, which I love <laughs> that term, uh, to uh, hold that truth for you for 30 days and we'll also be doing that uh, in the healing circle when those requests come in as well whatever we can do to continue to remember the truth about us and I think it will be a very powerful addition to what we're already doing I'm so glad you mentioned that and I so appreciative too of your having mentioned the healing circle because when I was reading from the forgotten song I made the link to the healing circle on what we do every Friday and I hope that people who are listening to this radio show who have not participated in that incredible ceremony of of healing will join us sometime Rev Deb posts this um, on a regular basis to remind us all to participate And it's held in the strictest of confidence, anything that you may share. And then, of course, you mentioned the the prayer ministry as well, which is amazing. But, you know, I want to go back just quickly because I know we're going to wrap up. I really appreciate your saying what you just said a few minutes ago, because I think that what we all do, and I'm sure you've delivered a Sunday message on this many, many times, and I'm sure it's in one of your two books as well. I'm entitled to miracles and what I'm sorry what is the other name of the book change your mind <laughs> thank you my dear change your mind oh my goodness uh I'm uh, I'm so sorry I should know that but anyway it's 
it's so easy for me to, when I was walking Gracie earlier, to recite something like paragraph the paragraph on 384, or I am here only to be truly helpful on page 28 in the text, whatever, or I must have decided wrongly because I'm not at peace. But it's really in the application and what you said about form and realizing that we've placed it in the Holy Spirit's hands and we don't have to worry about it. And we trust that however that relationship with anything, eating too much cake or my husband or your husband or a significant other or a child or whatever, we trust that the means will be there, period. And we appreciate everything our brother does, whatever the form may be or whatever we do, and it's that gratitude and appreciation that gains momentum. And so I really appreciate your sharing that, Rev Deb, because a lot of times if things don't work out in form the way I want them to, then I get depressed or I feel defeated. Mm-hmm. And I try harder when, in fact, the more I try, the harder I try, the more it's about ego. It's just relinquishing it, being willing, that little willingness to relinquish it. Okay, I'm done. And in, I know in, we need to Indeed. Up. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, as, as the saying goes, when one door closes, another opens. Yes. Um, so it's releasing that outcome. Because yeah. maybe it is time for that relationship or situation or whatever it is to to um, come to a natural close. Wow. And now something wow. else is opening up even more because, you know, we've been uh, hanging on to the doorknob <laughs> instead of letting the door close so we can open that one that's right before us. Well, that is a very good topic for a Sunday message. <laughs> I got a million of them. <laughs> well, thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity. And um, thanks so, to you any so future. Yeah. Hmm? Go right ahead. Pardon? Go right no, ahead. I was just going to say thank you for whomever may have been listening to this. And thank you to you, Rev Deb. And thank you to any future audience that may enjoy this little tale of the nightingale. And I'm done. Thanks again. Yes, and uh, thanks, Gail, and thanks, everyone, uh, for being here. Uh, Rev Gail uh, hosts our morning workbook lesson um, call at uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time. And she's also here once a month uh, doing uh, just what she did today, a beautiful, wonderful job. She's a wonderful storyteller, a wonderful teacher. And we march into March <laughs> next what Saturday? Wow, can you believe it? Yes, I can because I know you and I are ready for spring. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so, what our theme is for March is how to have a happy day. <laughs> uh, and uh, next week, uh, I'll be up uh, sharing on. Um, I know we just finished a class on this introduction. Rules for decision. Uh, yeah. Rules for decision. So we'll be looking at text chapter 30 uh, a little bit there. And uh, those of you who have, who have studied this class, hmm, maybe you can call in and share some insights uh, next week uh, because it's a wonderful uh, reading in itself. And then the rest of the month, that's what we'll be looking at is how can I continue to place happiness, peace as the forefront of my day? And that's what we'll be talking about next time. So, 
If you are interested in what we do here at Miracles One, please go to our website, www.miraclesone.org, for the plethora, that's my new word because I saw uh, a rerun of um, The Three Amigos, <laughs> and there was a scene in there where the one Mexican bandit says, plethora, do you know what a plethora is? So we have a plethora <laughs> of <laughs> wonderful support for you. And practicing this wonderful course. That's what it's all about, practicing A Course of Miracles. So thank you so much for joining with us today. And as always, uh, Rev Gail and I wish you peace. Namaste. Namaste. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.